Matthew chapter 28, an important subject here, but I, I don't want to tell you this theme yet until we deal with this first passage, Matthew 28, and the Bible says, <clears throat> these are the, some of the last words of Jesus before He ascended, and it says in Matthew 28, we know the Great Commission, and I'm going to focus on a particular thing that He says here, Matthew 28, uh, He says in verse 18, Matthew 28, 18, again, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying these words to the, the small church, the disciples gathered around Him before He ascends. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things, Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You see, Jesus has all power. This is not what I'm preaching, but Jesus says, I have all power. He tells us to teach all nations, the least ethnically, uh, uh, the least racist person to ever exist should be a Christian because of the words of Jesus, go teach all nations. That means mingle with them. All power, all nations, and teach all things, verse 20. Teach them all things. Don't just pick and choose like what I have told you is a buffet and you just get what you want. Jesus says, teach every last thing. Teach them to observe every last thing I taught you. That's what he says to his disciples and that's what he, we, I am taught and that's what I am te to teach you to do. To observe, this is what I'm narrowing it down to, all things. So this is called the Great Commission. This is called Jesus... Um, you know, marching orders for the church. I'm excited today because we're having a baptism. That is one of the core plain functions of a church is first, lead somebody to Jesus. Otherwise, a baptism doesn't mean anything. First, lead somebody to Jesus, teach them the gospel, then baptize them, then teach them everything else Jesus taught. You know, teach them the gospel first, and then baptize them, then teach them everything else Jesus taught. Our church, I hope that's the main thing. That, I hope those are the pillars that we have and do and function with that we reinforce now and we do for years ahead. We don't have to have a lot of, uh, you know, extra stuff. It's nice having fellowship. We don't have to have a bowling alley and, and uh, entertainment center. We don't have to have all that stuff. We don't have to put on a concert. We don't have to do that kind of stuff, but we have to do these things. That's what we have to do for sure. And um, so anyways, notice one thing, though, just one word here, and then it's going to lead us to where we're going that's important here. Teaching them to observe all things. Jesus said, observe. You, do you observe what I said? Did you observe what I did? That's why you notice we got four Gospels. Yeah. Uh, there are four reporters giving an angle, four different, four different angles on Jesus. Some of you read the newspaper. Well, maybe you do. Some of you read news from this, this website or that website or that website, and you kind of have your favorite, uh, those four reporters on Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and we hear what he said. We hear what he did. We hear what he taught. He taught about heaven. He taught about hell. There's some things to observe there. He taught about life. He taught about death. He taught about forgiveness. He taught about love. He taught about... Uh, Marriage, he taught about family, he taught about sacrifice, he taught about what's a real Christian, what really is being a disciple. 
He taught about all sorts of things, and I'm to observe, you and I are to observe all those things. And you can do it by just start plugging, plowing through some of the Gospels. And I'm to teach us to observe all things. Observe. What does it mean to observe? It's kind of like an observatory. You go there and you focus, right? Anybody ever been to an observatory? They have one at the small one at the Riparian Preserve here a few miles away. They have a fairly large one in Flagstaff, where we've been to. And you go to, to focus on something. Jesus said, look at everything I've said. We're not going to try to do that right now. We're going to try to look at one thing that most people don't look at or they twist. Observe. One of the things about observing Jesus and observing what he said is observing his attitude. It's important to watch not just what somebody says and does, but to pick up their attitude. Listen, that's important as a Christian to have the right attitude. And not just have the right attitude, but to have Jesus' attitude. So as we think about Jesus, and as we're going into this particular subject, as I narrow it down, we want to pick up on Jesus' attitude. Your attitude conveys a lot. I, you know, as a young guy, sometimes I can tell where a person's from by their attitude. Some colleges, I can tell what college they probably, I used to be able to, well, I used to be able to tell almost what college you came from kind of by your attitude and your, just the way you project yourself. Like, I know where you're from, like a Bible college. I could tell because there was an attitude that was cultivated in certain schools, certain Bible colleges. And sometimes it's, I'm not saying they're all bad. Sometimes I can tell, you can tell where, what family somebody's from. (laughs) Besides what they look like, you're like, eh. You can see that attitude there, right? An accent, of course, gives away a region of where you're from. Our attitude as Christian projects something of Jesus, right? Well, observe all things. You know what this, you know what our country is trying to push on us this month, right? Come on, get on board. It's the Pride Month. Right? Do you ever wonder what Jesus' attitude was with that? See, I want to bring this up in light of Jesus. It could fit for any subject. Name a new, name another contemporary subject or one that, whatever it is, what was Jesus' attitude? That's all I care about. Because I'm supposed to be a Christian. And you are too. Jesus' attitude is about gay pride, LGBTQ culture. Now, I'm, as I proceed, I'm not here to try to, like, like I'm worried like everybody's going to go and is voting on the hinge of voting liberal and all that. I'm not worried about that stuff. I'm worried, not worried, but I'm concerned that we just have the mind of, the mind of Christ on everything. Not, I don't care if you have the mind of a Republican or of a conservative. We need to have the remind of Christ. What was Jesus' attitude about that? There's, there's preachers, well-known preachers, that have said, Jesus didn't say anything about that, so neither should we. 
Jesus didn't say anything about if you're a lesbian or a gay man or queer or trans. Jesus never said, so neither should we. There's one guy, um, the attitude is Jesus never talked about homosexuality. He didn't care enough to say anything about it. Why should you? Is that true? You sure? Have you read everything? You've observed everything that Jesus said? There's a guy, he's a complaint, claims to be a Christian, Matthew Vines. He wrote a book everybody's trying to pass around and say this is, represents Christianity. It's called God and the Gay Christian. And he, he condemns interpretations of scriptures that he calls clobber passages that are used to speak against uh, those perverted lifestyles. Um, there's a well-known pastor who's had, who's had, a, had a moral failure in the last couple of years, but he was very, very, very popular. And he actually still is. He's in the Midwest now. Carl Lentz, he's a Hillsong pastor. Hillsong, New York City. He baptized uh, Justin Bieber and was friends with some other celebrities. And, and, I, and I, I'm not putting down if anybody was converted there. That, I hope somebody was. But he had an interview with Katie Couric, a video, a television interview, and I watched the interview. Now, mind you, people that are around this country and your friends and neighbors watch this and they look and they listen to him, they think he represents Christianity, maybe a little more trendy one. And she, she asked him a lot of questions and he was, he was very chummy and, you know, a little bit flattering and stuff. And he, she said, but she finally kept saying, don't you feel a moral imperative in light of gay issues? This is exactly her words. I don't know if she's a Christian. Don't, do you feel a moral imperative to speak publicly about some of these more controversial issues? And he quickly answered, no, because we try to be like Jesus. Very rarely did Jesus ever talk about morality or social issues. He was about deeper things of the heart. Of the heart. That part's true. And it was like, let's not look at that. Let's just blow that up. Is that how Jesus was? He was about deeper issues of the heart, right? But did Jesus never mention anything that might shed light on a person's attitude on the gay pride thing? Again, how you process this today is not all just about that. It's about Jesus' attitude. But did Jesus say anything about that? Um, so here we have Matthew. We actually studied Matthew a couple of years. That was a, it's a big one. And we went through the book of Matthew. And so let's start going back a little bit. And I want to pick up on seven points, seven state. I want us to observe. Okay, listen to the, this is where we're going. Here's the trail map. Okay. I want us to observe seven statements seven points that Jesus says that shed light on this issue that is being pounded in your life by the secularists. Because the question is, am I really following the right Jesus? Or is it true Jesus never said anything, so I shouldn't either. Jesus never said anything that was controversial in moral things or political things, so I shouldn't either. I need to just shut up and follow 
Carl Lentz's, the famous pastor's advice. After all, he's got so many people following him, so I need to take his advice. Is that what we should do? Let's look at seven statements here, seven points that we should observe all things. Number one, let's remember this, and you hear your pastor say this, and I don't say it because I've, I've mastered this. It's the opposite. Number one, Jesus never endorsed pride. I mean, the, 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 the attitude. Never. Look at chapter 23, verse 12. Chapter 23, verse 12. So we're going to start from Matthew 20. We're just going to hit some passages going to the left of this, let's observe all things. Let's pick up. Matthew 23, 12, Jesus actually made this statement not in light of immoral people, but in light of professing moral people. He said in Matthew 23, 12, whosoever shall exalt himself shall be abased, and he shall humble himself shall be exalted. Jesus wants us to be humble type of people. That doesn't mean you don't, that doesn't mean you always have to go, whisper. You still speak up, you can still be strong, but your attitude about yourself is humble and not blown up, inflated. The word pride comes from the word puffed, puffed up. Jesus said, whoever puffs himself up, God's going to stick a pin and pop your bubble, pop your balloon. But he that humbles himself shall be exalted, lifted up. Jesus Jesus never endorsed pride. Now watch this. Nor did Jesus ever exemplify pride. He did both opposites. He endorsed humility, humble living, and he, beyond anyone ever, exemplified humility. For he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself, coming, stepping out of time and eternity in heaven, Stepping out of time and eternity in heaven, made himself no reputation, took upon him the form of a man, was made in the likeness of flesh, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, it says. So let's remember this, Jesus' attitude. What's Jesus' attitude? Pride. He, he never endorsed pride. He, never in, he wouldn't endorse American pride. He wouldn't endorse Baptist pride. He wouldn't endorse... White pride, black pride, brown pride. He wouldn't endorse any color pride because the Bible says everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Whether it's a gay or straight, black or white, Baptist or Catholic, everyone that's proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. See, God looks on attitude, doesn't he? Did you see that? That's a proverb there. So, all right, so let's follow. We want, I want Jesus' attitude. I want Jesus' attitude. He never endorsed pride. Number two, he always endorsed Moses. Look at chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, and you'll see why we're saying this. Chapter 23, verse 1 and 2, Jesus spake to the multitude and to his disciples, saying, The scribes and Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. That is, the, the, the religious elite of the day, they... They taught from a platform of Moses' doctrine and Moses' authority. The scribes and Pharisees sit at Moses' seat, verse 3. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do. But do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. I'm going to quickly illustrate what he's saying. Jesus and his disciples, he, he was beginning the church. He was, he was going to fulfill the law. He was going to begin a church. However, the current religious uh, establishment of the day... They were 
were very self-righteous and they were hypocrites. However, watch this. What they actually had as a textbook was 100% right. And the place they were put in was 100% right. Just like we say, we, I don't agree with the person, but I have to honor the position. That's what I think about the president. Same thing Jesus is saying about the scribes and Pharisees. You don't agree with their person, you honor their position, and you honor their textbook. The scribes and Pharisees were hypocrites. He says, don't live like them. However, they have Moses, and you go with what Moses says when they teach it. Did you see that? That's what Jesus said. Jesus endorsed Moses without endorsing the whole denomination, so to speak, of people in the Old Testament sense. You know what Jesus often, now you're going to see why I'm saying this. You know what Jesus would often do when people came to him? Somebody may have gotten healed. And he'd say, go, go to the temple and get that offering and offer what Moses told you to offer. That's Old Testament laws. When somebody would come and sometimes would ask him a question, hey, Lord, what do you think about this? say, well, what did Moses say? What did Moses command you? He said that. Uh, Jesus even told some of these Pharisees, he says, hey, guys, I don't even know if you really believe Moses. Have you belie- if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. He's saying, if you would really believe the law and the things Moses said, you would have believed me. When Jesus was resurrected and he walked with two men from on the road to Emmaus, he talked to them. He opened up to them the law of Moses and David and the Psalms and Proverbs. Jesus endorsed Moses. Now, here's why we say this, because people in this day and age say, oh, I believe Je- I, I, Jesus, we love, we take Jesus. But, you know, this Old Testament antiquated law stuff about, you know, moral things and killing sodomites and saying it's wrong to, to be gay, we de- that's just old antiquated. Jesus wouldn't endorse that. That's exactly what Jesus endorsed. He came not to destroy it. He came to fulfill it. Moses, you know what he says. He said a lot of things. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. Moses said that. Jesus endorsed that statement right there. You know what's interesting? The reason why Jesus doesn't say a lot about this current thing that we're dealing with, this messy LGBT stuff, you don't see a lot in the, you see something in Jesus' words, you don't see a lot. You know why you don't see a lot of it? Because it wasn't an issue in his country. It was already presumed that's wrong. Deuteronomy, there's a passage in Deuteronomy where Moses says, you will not let one of your daughters be a prostitute, nor will you allow a sodomite in this country. That's what, that's what he said. Because they knew that would alter the culture and it would ruin things. And because besides God says it's an abomination. So Jesus endorsed Moses. That's what, I just want you to see this. I don't want you to think there's Moses and then there's Jesus. And those guys, man, if they got together, they would fight and Jesus would beat them up. No, don't think that way. Don't think that way. The law was given by Moses. It doesn't say that's a bad thing. The law, in fact, Paul says the law is good just, holy, and right. And we're going to get into that when we start this Ten Commandments and Jesus series. But Jesus came to fulfill it. It's almost like Moses came and he showed a, a rule, a ruler. And nobody ever measured up. There's nothing wrong with a the ruler. There's nothing wrong with the law. Nobody ever measured up, so everybody gets mad about the ruler and they want to break it and throw it away. No. Jesus, Moses shows us the ruler and finally Jesus shows up and fits it perfectly. That's why it's good. 
It shows us Jesus and it drives us to Jesus. Jesus always endorsed Moses. Number three, we'll move along. Look in chapter 19. And each one of these we could spend more time on, but I, I don't want to. I just want you to get the gist here. Number three, Jesus, Jesus, not, not the United States Constitution, not pastor, but Jesus' own words defined marriage. Jesus, number three, defined marriage. 19, chapter 19, verse 4 to 6. This is a passage where Jesus both helps somebody discern the issue of divorce and when it may be appropriate and inappropriate. And he also, at the same time in this passage, helps a person understand the, the weaving, intimate nature of marriage. So they asked him about putting away your wife, and Jesus discouraged it, but he did say there's a clause for it. He says in cases of adultery or fornication. But notice verse 4 and 5. When they asked him about marriage, he said, Verse 4, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause shall a man leave father and mother and cleave to his wife and they twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And I'm not going to go on to, to, to go through the rest of it. It's helpful, but Jesus, what did Jesus say? Again, I want us to keep coming back to in our life, I know what the politics are saying. I know what people in the liberal ends of voices are saying about Jesus. But what do I know Jesus really said? Jesus said marriage is an honorable thing. It takes one man. It takes one woman. That's how God made them. And when they come together, they should stay together. And they said, well, what about divorce? They said, Don't, well, unless it be for fornication, then it's not right. My point is, we, hear, we, are living, we are living in a day and age where what's happening is... Huh, let's pause a second. Let's pause a second. I want you to, just on this point, I want you to see spiritually what's happening around us. Think about God, think about the devil, and us. God made things, we're to enjoy things as He originally made them, Right? We're to enjoy. He has a word. We need to take it as it is. He has a design for marriage. We need to take it as it is. He has a design for sexuality and for a lot of things. The devil, it's kind of like a guy who hates Ford goes around and vandalizes Fords. Or a guy who hates whatever, another kind of thing. He vandal The devil is taking, hey, I know God, this is how God made marriage. And he wants to go like this and say, that's how it is. It's not man. It can be woman and woman, man and man. I know God made sexuality this way, but the devil wants to twist it and shove it in people's face and make you accept it. It's a, the devil is, a, is assaulting God's design. It's not just people that are, you, know, you see two women, they want to be married, or two men, or a guy that's confused. It. All that stuff right there is Satan is messing with people. I want you to see that. It, I used to want to blame all Democrats for every bad thing. Satan is messing with people. And they're like, well, I don't want Satan to mess with people. I want, I want Jesus to reach people. And Jesus has words that help reach us and help straighten up your marriage and my marriage. Even if you're like, Pastor, I'm not, don't worry about me. I'm not worried about this gay, lesbian stuff. Well, Jesus is in favor of a good, healthy marriage. Jesus is in favor of you exemplifying a good marriage. 
or it's to your kids the best you can. And teaching your kids how to pursue that. And teaching your kids clear parameters of sexuality. Jesus is in favor of that. All right, let's move on here. Number, th- number four, this is where it gets controversial here a little even more. These last four points come from one passage, chapter 11. What is Jesus' attitude? Here we are. We need to observe what Jesus' attitude is on everything. But what about the LGBTQ culture and this whole Pride Month push. What is Jesus' attitude? He never endorsed pride. He always endorsed Moses, who showed us that that lifestyle is an abomination. Number three, he specifically defines marriage. Number four, he validates the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Jesus what? He validated this. Antiquated people say that it's a, it's a myth or whatever. Jesus validated it, that it happened. Chapter 11, verse 20. Now, you're gonna, there's a kind of a thing happening here, and I'll explain it. Chapter 11, verse 20, Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. Is everybody there? Chapter 11, verse 20, Jesus had done some, uh, he done some things. And what does it say? He began to upbraid them, rebuke them. Certain cities, why? Because he did all these mighty works, but they didn't repent. So let's stop right there. So there was... Jesus was in northern Israel, southern Israel. That would be Galilee and Judah. He spent a lot of time in the northern part. The north side of the Sea of Galilee, there was a very profitable town called Capernaum. And um, there was the fishermen where he picked up there. And he had done miracles in that region and some other regions to where he had raised the dead, he had healed the sick, he had uh, 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 healed the lame, he had caused the deaf to see walked on water, all this stuff, multiplied the fish and the bread in all these different places. And as he did it, the hopes were people would wow and repent and believe him. And some did. But some of the places, he did a lot of miracles there and hardly anybody responded. So what does it say? He begins to ch- uh, chide them. Look, I did all these miracles there and you didn't repent. He mentions a few of the cities. I'm not going to look at all of them. I want you to just look at verse 23. He's chiding one of these cities that should have responded to him for all the blessing they had of his miracles. Look at verse 23. And thou Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven. Now, this was apparently a a fairly profitable city, probably had a good economy. I think there was a, the Roman government presence was there. They were able to protect him. All Capernaum, which art exalted unto heaven, shall be brought down to hell. For if, here we go, watch this statement. For if the mighty works which have been done in thee had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. So what is he saying? He's saying this city, Capernaum, he did all these works. He said, you didn't repent. He says, you know what? Years ago, it probably would have been, I don't know, 1,500 years from this moment he said this. I'm not sure. He says, you know, back in Sodom, they all knew about Sodom. It was the southern part of their country that got destroyed, possibly where the Dead Sea is. He says, you know, Sodom, if they saw what I did in your city, Sodom. And when they, when they heard Sodom, like, oh, what a bunch of perverts, those sickos. Those guys were hopeless. They probably, a lot of them, moralistic citizens thought. Yeah, Sodom, boy, those guys are losers. God blew them out of the water, huh? Or made them into, you know, just fire and brimstone. Yep, they knew that and they thought that. Jesus said, you know, if I did the works in your city, 
that if I did those same words, not only, they would have repented. They would have responded. They would have, that would have been a transformative moment. He says, they would have. He says, that's why he says, woe to you. You're in big trouble. There's a day of accountability coming for all you Capernaum citizens, and it's hell for you because you've already made your decision to say no. That's what he said. You shall be put down, brought down to hell. Here's a point that we want to draw right here, right here now. Jesus acknowledged the, the actual... You have a Bible. The, is this Genesis 18, 19? Jesus said, yeah, that really happened. Here's why I say that. Because we're getting things in our ears that says, ah, oh, that didn't happen. Ah, oh, people wrote that in there. Oh, that's a fable. Well, in Jesus' day, he recognized it. And in the New Testament scriptures, which are even more recent, that can be validated, he says, no, that happened. That happened. Jesus validated the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Quickly, the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, it was two major cities we know of Sodom because that name became known now as a verb for a perverted act and also a name for perverted type people, Sodom, that's why it has that name, and Gomorrah, two cities, and there are apparently some other cities in the plain. They were, they were, uh, they had, it appears, a good economy. They were in a good spot, well-watered plains, and they were filled. Their wickedness was exceeding, God says, exceedingly wicked before the Lord. And God took time. He went down in the angelic form and surveyed the place, talked to Abraham about, about the idea of destroying it. And there was only one believer in there, Lot and his family, and two angels came visit Lot in the city of Sodom. Angels look like men. They come to visit Lot in the city. And we can make a whole other story about this one. But think about the personality parallels here. You have a, infest, a city infested with LGBTQ values. Two men who are not of that go there. They don't say anything to them. They don't bother them. They just go visit another resident. And what do all the citizens do? We want to see them. We insist on having our way with them. No, Lot says, leave them alone. Leave us alone. No, we insist on having our way with them. We're going to force it. We're a very tolerant, loving place. We're going to force it on you. And that's what happened. The personality things are still the same. It's not tolerant, and it's not the love that God speaks of. So anyways, they go in, and they're being down. They want to bang down the door to get to these, to these men who are actually angels in the form of a appearance of a man, and the angels have to smite him with blindness to, to get out of that scenario. The angels take Lot out and his family and two girls, and Lot and his wife and two girls, and, and what happens? What happens? People, the thing, the phrase that everybody has ridicules and, and says is a bad thing, God rains fire and brimstone. Whenever you hear that phrase, fire and brimstone, how is that said? Is that said in a sober, serious way? Oh, fire and brimstone. Does anybody ever say that in a very like, oh boy. No. People, whenever they say that phrase, they say it in a sarcastic way, don't they? Why? Satan wants us to have that attitude. He wants us to have an attitude, all oh, fire and brimstone. Yeah. Why? Wait, the first time you heard that phrase, it was serious business, man. That was God, and that really happened. He reigned. That, they had a chance. They didn't repent, and he reigned, and he destroyed that place. Acknowledged, yeah, that really happened. Remember Sodom? He referred to the, to the actual account. And so Jesus' attitude is, 
yes, there's such a thing as this, there's such a thing as this culture, and it's not right. Jesus says that. Number six, but aren't you glad? And we mentioned this already. Two more points here. We want Jesus' attitude. I want his attitude. I want his mindset. Jesus, or number five, I should say, Jesus affirmed their need to repent. Affirmed that there was existence of Sodom, a, a, a city of what we would call LGBTQ values, primarily men. And Jesus affirms that these to repent. Now follow me on this. Jesus is interested in everybody's repentance. Every last one. Jesus isn't going to be like, you know, some conservative Republican thing. You're good. I'm looking for those godless liberals. No, Jesus wants everybody to repent. Everybody. And in particular, he did want this group to repent and they, and they didn't. Jesus was so interested in people's repentance that he did something that I wish I could do more and every one of us should be challenged to do more, and that is thoughtfully, carefully mingle with sinners so that they would repent. Look at chapter 9. Jesus says here, he was criticized. You know this. This was one of his points of criticism. People say, ah, look what he's doing. And it says there, chapter 9, verse 10. Again, pick up on Jesus' attitude. It came to pass as Jesus sat at me in the house. This was Matthew. He was a left-winger, tax collector, but he decided he was going to follow Jesus now. Jesus sat at me in his house. Many publicans and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. Verse 11. Here's the criticism. The Pharisees saw it. They said to his disciples, Why eateth your master with publicans? Is he doing this? So you have Matthew, who was a, he was, they didn't like, I'll just say, if you think in terms of politics, he would have been the left-wing liberal. Jesus called him, come follow me. So this guy follows Jesus, and this guy brings all of his liberal buddies, and this guy has a meet to get dinner together with him, and he's doing it. And so, <laughs> see, some of us are like, man, I couldn't do that. You know, but Jesus does. He's got a purpose, though, not to affirm, but to alter them. All right, so he's there, and, and so the, the self-righteous right-wingers are like, why is your master doing that? Why is he over there? This guy sit there. Why is he doing that? And Jesus says, well, his words, they that be whole, verse 11, verse 12, they that be whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. Hey, I, I don't need to go to the healthy ones. You don't need a doctor in the gym. You need a doctor in the place where everybody's hurting. But go ye, verse 13, and learn what that meaneth. I will have mercy. God says, I am interested in showing mercy to people more than I am having a nice, well-crafted church service. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. For is the statement, verse 13, grab this. Jesus says, for I'm not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So as you imagine Jesus in Levi's house, Matthew, and, and he, he came to believe on him, and he has all of his other buddies who were called sinners and publicans. They weren't always, none of them, they weren't honest, and some of them were immoral and all that. And Jesus is in, in this group, and he's being criticized for it. His answer back is, I'm trying to help these guys. I'm not going to affirm them. I'm not going to say, I accept you as you are. You can just stay that way. Jesus does love us as we are, but he wants us to change and follow him.
what is the point is Jesus wants people to, he wanted Sodom to, he, he knew Sodom needed to repent. The people in his day, I want you to repent. Jesus affirmed the need for a person to repent. Number six, two more points here. I was on five. He indicated that they could have. Go back to chapter 11. We're talking about Sodom, which represents that immoral, immorally saturated culture. Jesus says, yeah, it happened. Yes, it was destroyed. Yes, they should have repented. And number six, they could have repented. Look at chapter 11, uh, verse 23 at the end. For if the mighty works have been done in thee, Capernaum, if they had been done in Sodom, it would have remained unto this day. That's interesting. Not that every last one of them would have repented, but Jesus again says in his contemporary day, I did all the miracles in Capernaum, done water, multiplied bread and fishes, healed people. You know, Capernaum, if I did those things and plugged them right back thousands or so years ago back into Sodom, it got destroyed. Isn't that amazing? That tells us... <laughs> That tells us it's possible for a person who's embracing a sodomite lifestyle, it's possible to repent. It's less likely as they go along. A reprobate mind can set in all kinds of things. It's possible to repent. And then Paul referred to the Corinthians as some of them did. Paul refers in 1 Corinthians 6, he's writing to the Corinthians and he said, uh, let's look quickly at it, 1 Corinthians 6, he says... Um, we don't know who exactly was what, but Paul says about heaven, he says, be not deceived. Verse 9, be not either uh, fornicators, nor adulterers, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind. Those are two statements of gay men. Nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Now, wait a minute. You're, right away, you're saying, wait a minute. Anybody can get saved. Anybody can get saved. But sometimes there's this aspect of getting saved. And then if you continue to embrace a lifestyle tenaciously, such that you're called an abuser, such that you're called a thief, you're called covetous, you're called a drunkard, it's evidence that you, maybe you never really were converted. Paul's saying there, these will not inherit the kingdom of God, effeminate, abusers of themselves with mankind. Look at verse 11. And then, so Paul says to the Corinthians, such were some of you, but ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of, our, of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't that amazing? In other words, so as Paul's writing to the Corinthian church, it's a Christian church, Paul says, you know, some of y'all were covetous, extortioners, effeminate, abusers of themselves, of mankind, idolaters, all that. Oof. You used to be that, but God got a hold of you. The gospel is true conversion therapy, right? God got a hold of you and washed you. So Jesus says he affirms people's need to repent. He says people can, could have repented. Number seven, last point here. Jesus warns, oh, here we go. All right, we mentioned this, but let's go back again. Go back to chapter 11 of Matthew to get Jesus' point here. Um, okay, chapter 11, verse 24. But I, shall, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom. 
in the day of judgment than for thee. It's almost like he's saying, in the day of judgment, in the day of judgment, when all the people of Capernaum stand before God, who heard Jesus Christ and saw his miracles and said no, and God judges them. It's almost like there's another passage that speaks of it from this angle. The people of Sodom who rejected him and, and have their fate will be able to say, hey, wait a minute, you guys, what's wrong with you? You didn't repent? Yep. It, the Bible says that as, when God goes to judge, it's almost like he's saying, this is more deserving than a whole city full of Sodomites being destroyed. These people, Jesus Christ clearly declared before them and said, no, it's more deserving of judgment. Now here's the point here. Jesus warns others that we are just as worthy of judgment as a, per a person of perverted lifestyle if we reject him. See, we can get real self-righteous in this stuff. I'm a sinner too. If I don't accept Christ, I'll go to the same hell as a yay person who rejects Christ. Right? And I need to accept Christ and that by God's grace I have. So I, my whole point, I hope we just say, what did, I want us to get a sense of Jesus, Jesus' mind, Jesus' attitude, and embrace that and project that with the spirit and love of Jesus, that's what I want us to have. Observe all things that he commanded us and taught us. There was a guy one time when we were in, Jose and I went to Mexico down in Navajo where the doors are we supported. And there was a guy, Jose and I went and went to a marketplace. Brother Dor took us to a marketplace down there. It was kind of like a, it was outdoor, but it was shaded. It was really big. There's a lot of different little businesses there all clustered. And we are going around. Stuff. And we actually had tracks. We were able to witness and talk to people and stuff. And I had a little bit more Spanish exercise then than I do now. But Jose came and was helping me and translated. And there was this guy, very effeminate man, selling something. And I'm like, I got to talk to him. <laughs> and it grinds against my man nature to do it. But the reason I did, and I'm not some hero, is like I, I had, I'm trying to have the hope that Jesus had for people. So we talked to him, and Jose translated, and I gave him a track, and he listened, looked at me. I think he was a little, maybe, I don't know if he was surprised that we even talked to him. I don't know. But he listened, and I said, you know, and through Jose's translating and you know, there's a God we're going to face when we die. And we need to have repented and trusted in His Son, Jesus. And our sins are what is the problem. All sin. Every, and I named some sins. And we need to trust. And he listened and listened and looking. And, and I said, I urge you to consider Jesus. He's your way of forgiveness with God. And, 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 and consider your sin as a problem. And just tried to convey sin and Jesus, sin and Jesus, and the need for faith. And I, I, I'm just saying it to simply say, I just tried to have the hope that Jesus had. <laughs> that somebody would be converted. That's how we should be, right? 
That's how we ought to be. We want to have the mind of Christ. We want to have the attitude of Christ. We want to observe all things. What's your attitude like? What's your attitude like? Again, this is like, oh, Pastor talked about stuff. I'm fine with it. No, no, no. This is beyond that. This works beyond that. Do I have Jesus' attitude? Do I observe all things? The most important thing to observe is in your heart. Have you, have you trusted Him for yourself as your Savior? That's the most important thing.